Welcome, everyone, through all time and space to an all-new episode of Weaves on the Weekends, a podcast where we break down the anime news highlights of the week and give a retrospective look at anime that premiered 10 years ago. Today's episode, we'll be covering the news from the first week of May 2021 and give our thoughts on whether to resurrect or rebury the 2011 anime Dead Man Wonderland. My name is Jay Johnson, I'm a part-time weave and full-time English language sensei, and with me, as always, is my co-host Sam Martinez, part-time weave and full-time automail mechanic. Now, Sam, I usually have an opening, but I completely forgot about one. So, you have anything you want to ask me how I'm doing? How are how are you doing this week? I mean, you, I, I can see think you're doing a little bit better because you said that uh, schools have been closed this week or something like that. Yeah, it's our technically last week of school. The Ministry of Education was like, "Hey, our students haven't been really learning, so what about stop wasting everyone's time?" <laughs> and now that vaccinations are getting like doled out, their second dosages are getting a lot more you know popular and even the government is like incentivizing people with monetary incentives and they're like oh if you get vaccinated we'll give you some money and that's been going well but they were like well teachers aren't really going to be vaccinated on time for the end of the school year so let's just end the school year early and pick up the school year next year earlier so technically my summer vacation has started soon and I'm going to have to go back to school a little bit earlier than planned. So that kind of changes up my summer plans. But other than that, it's been a really good, good week of lifted quarantine. Everyone is out in the roads again. I can go to KFC and get some good fried chicken for the first time in uh, four weeks. Uh, What else? Yeah, it's just like returning back to normal. And even I was stuck in traffic for about two hours going on to another you know, going across town. What was it like being stuck in traffic again? Did it give you uh, quarantine uh, PTSD flashbacks? Not at all. It was like a (laughs) thing of, oh yeah, you're a human, I'm a human, and I see you suffering the same way (laughs) in public that I am. So yeah, but Sam, actually, how are you doing? How was your week? I'm doing well. My week was pretty good. As you said, things with uh, the quarantine, well, where you're at, quarantine is being lifted. And much to everybody's quote-unquote surprise, the state that I'm in, everybody's quarantine has been lifted. I was able to go and do some karaoke with some friends last night. Yes, they do do karaoke in the States, actually. And... As I said, it, it, it was pretty nice. <laughs> All right. So what's your go-to What's your go karaoke song? So like, if you're going to pick the first song off the night, do you go with your best song? Do you go with like your second best song? So what's that song I go, for you? My, my, my first song, which is usually a bit of a warm-up, is This Is How We Do It. It's usually good because it's usually on a Friday, and everybody's in the Friday vibes. And it's right in that little niche where it's just old enough for the old heads to be like, I recognize this song and just uh, new enough for the newer people to be like, hey, I heard this song before. So it's like that good middle, middle ground where you can sing it and both parties would be able to participate. I, I say I bring the old heads to uh, to the forefront because the place that I go to for karaoke, it's a lot of older people. So it's usually hard to get a good feel for them and to pick a song that feeds off their energy. But what about you? What's your go-to karaoke song? How do you normally choose what song you sing first? Yeah, I definitely don't try to pay attention to my audience. I kind of just go into karaoke for myself. (laughs) So I'm a very selfish karaoke singer. 
So the songs that I get the most joy from singing are like the high power ballads of like female um, music artists like Katy Perry, Cher. Adele. No. no, Cher. I'm not that musically talented to hit some Cher up. <laughs> but yeah, my go-to song, like I guess if I'm going to pull out a showstopper, is Roxanne by The Police. And I guess Ooh. my Adele favorite would be Chasing Pavements because that's kind of the one that uh, broke her and you know everyone probably knows and like yeah you do want to know the songs that people can sing along to like the pop hits i mean i want to start introducing some billy eilish into my routine but i haven't been to karaoke in a long time so i have to sing in front of the mirror for a little bit longer sam but we have some news to talk about and you are responsible for the news so you got the news sam i has the news so Oh, since we were talking about music, we can go ahead and segue into – I'm going to change the news order a little bit on us, Jay, because like I said, we were just talking about music. And the first bit of news that I want to talk about has to do with Flying, Yoda, sorry, Flying Lotus and the Yasuke anime. So for those who aren't aware, Yasuke is the Netflix original anime series that was made by the musician Flying Lotus – and oh, I'm sorry, he was an executive producer and a composer for Yasuke. And essentially, Yasuke is to be a historical fiction rendition of the, how would you say, I guess, legendary, not, not really mythical, but I guess the legendary black samurai who was supposed to be the only African foreign foreigner who was given the title of samurai in Japan. And... Uh, there was a tweet by the Flying Lotus saying how these first six episodes was to serve as an introduction to the world of Yasuke, and they have a lot more ideas and uh, wants to build upon uh, the world of Yasuke in the works, and they hope that this is the beginning of something great and grander. So, Jay... What are your thoughts on this? And I know, like, we've watched the first episode together. I don't know if you watched any more of the show. And from when our, from our watching it, it seemed like you were acquainted with The Flying Lotus. Uh, what, what are some of the songs that you know him from that I may know but may not recognize his name? Right, yeah, because Flying Lotus has, has a large uh, discography, I guess, his, like, filmography for music. But the ones that I know him most you know, familiar with his work is with Carol on Tuesday, which was a very underappreciated oh, okay. anime back a year ago because it was held up in Netflix jail, jail for a while when Netflix jail was actually a thing and how they were really holding hostage their anime on their service, as well as first introduced his music production skills and the Blade Runner uh, animated series, the Blackout 2022, I believe it was. But we talked about that, wow, a year ago when it first came out because it was wholesale coming with the new Blade Runner movie as well as the two animated series as well as basically getting that mixture of Netflix moving into the anime scene. So Flying Lotus has kind of been on the uh, front edge of that, carving out a own, you know, his own sense of musicality because he's a hip-hop artist. And even he started with, like, back on... Adult Swim with the Boondocks, even before then, 
but he like premiered his music there. And I even like his like his little shortened name, which is just Fly Low. <laughs> I actually don't <laughs> actually know his real name because I've always known him as this Flying Lotus. But like his musicality is something like that you would kind of vibe with with the, the likes of uh, Shimmer Eye Shampoo, that kind of electronic hip hop music that you can really just pump up at a party. So yeah, so for those few anime. And he has like six albums, I believe. Like he's a very prolific music producer, but you know, maybe most people don't know him. So I'm not surprised that his name isn't carrying as much weight with the Yasuke property as Studio Mappa or even uh, Lakeith Stansfield voicing Yasuke. What they did. And it was interesting that you had mentioned the Boondocks as well, because they mentioned that the creator, director, and executive producer for Yasuke, uh, LaShawn Thomas, had also worked on the Boondocks as well, as well as the Legend of Korra. And it's just interesting, you know, seeing these people get together and try to bring life to the work of Yasuke. Do you know much of the history behind the real life Yasuke? Just just in terms of how they're actually adapting his the, you know, historic accounting of Yasuke as a samurai is that, you know, they're blending the whole science fiction and supernatural aspect in it that's kind of distorting that and that's kind of what's really taking the hit in the critical reception of the series is that why do that to such a interesting character inside of a japanese production even though it's kind of like an american production slash production with netflix but with the whole child aspect the whole lone wolf cub aspect to it they're taking a lot of liberties that is really divorced from the actual reality of yasuke's story so they're keeping it with the whole premise of like yes he was he was an Igbo, i believe from the Igbo tribe of uh, the west coast of africa he -hmm. was a attendant to a european from the dutch east india trading company that's kind of what's the setup from the first episode and then what happened with downfall of Nobunaga and he went into exile, essentially. And that's where the story kind of diverges. So the setup is historically accurate, but then everything else isn't as much. Yeah, everything afterwards is. And it was just interesting because after like looking to this, I did a little bit of a deep dive because I was very interested. I was a bit uh, upset, like why they didn't do a more historically accurate account. And from my limited research that I did, it seems as though there isn't a lot of historical record on Yasuke. Like you said, there's uh, ba- basically he he really did exist and he really did serve o- o- under Oda Nobunaga, but there's not much that is out there saying uh, what exactly what tribe that he's from. Like you said, they think that he is from West Africa, but they aren't sure which particular company and. They weren't sure who who he was working under uh, before he met Oda, and then even after Oda had uh, died, they there was no records on what happened to him. So it it, it was a bit interesting to hear that you know even like there, there's a lot shrouded in mystery regarding this character and why they sort of took as many liberties as they did. So just just a little bit of a historical thing and a little bit of a highlight and we were talking about music so i wanted to keep the vibes going in that direction so on to the next bit of news that i have is 
<laughs> our good old friend Demon Slayer, who likes to pop in and out of our news. And I'm not sure if you were following this when uh, following this news when Demon Slayer had come to the U.S., but they, but uh, Demon Slayer had finally became the first uh, Japanese movie to top the U.S. box office since the Pokemon movie that had come out. And, Jay, uh, uh, well, was I right in assuming that you weren't following the box office uh, records for Demon Slayer when uh, first came to the States? Not at all, because, one, Demon Slayer has broken so many records. It's, like, kind of a moot point now that <laughs> how, you know, the Avengers Endgame was and kind of functioning in the same way, like, of course, breaking records. Of course, it's a good movie. Of course, it's going in for a Oscar run. Of course, it won the uh, Tokyo or the Japan's Oscars for Best Animated Film. And I kind of lost track of it because because everyone was talking about it so much and I watched it, what, a month or two ago? So, yeah, I've kind of dropped off the Demon Slayer train because I'm just so hyped for season two. It's just like, yes, okay, let's move on, guys. We have season two to get hyped <laughs> for. Let's stop talking about the movie. So it was just funny because – I, th I think I told you and our audience before when Demon Slayer first came out, it was in that same weekend as Mortal Kombat. And I thought for real that Mortal Kombat was going to win out in the end because Mortal Kombat is just more well known here in the States. However, the earnings, oh my goodness, it was just like a neck and neck uh, race there because Demon Slayer had earned $6.4 million dollars. Whereas Mortal Kombat got $6.2 million. So it just slowly etched by. And I guess just a little quick of a trivia quiz for you, Jay. So the top three animated uh, movies that had uh, surpassed all the uh, – that had surpassed uh, Amer U.S. box offices before, right? So there were three slots, the first being Pokemon, the first movie. The second being Pokemon 2000, and now Demon Slayer is in that number three spot. What was the previous third spot that Demon Slayer had knocked out? That's interesting. I mean, given how well, because I would not have guessed those first two spots as being held with Pokemon since they have like 27 movies. I think that's the current count of Pokemon movies. <laughs> and when it's like Pokemon is such a 90s kids thing. So I can't even judge about the popularity of the Pokemon franchise right now. But I would guess um, it's a director of your name. So I'm guessing that's your name. Would you rather have a hint and take another guess? Uh, no, I want to lose. <laughs> okay. So in all actuality, that was, that was that was a good guess. But if you had kept the 90s theme rolling, it was the previous spot had belonged to Dragon Ball Super Brawly, which had came out recently. And Demon Slayer was the one that had knocked him out of its uh, third place on the podium. So I was that was, that was just very interesting to me that and, and I know you and I have talked about it before, how essentially this movie doesn't give a damn on whether or not you knew about the demon slayer lore it just wanted to keep on going and the fact that it was able to 
garner as much attention and as much popularity as it did. On to another bit of news. It is on a, another movie, and this movie is known as Misaki no Mayoga. Mayoga. And this is another uh, anime film that had just released or revealed its main cast, additional cast, and had also released a trailer. Uh, the reason why I chose this film was mainly because I think it was our last episode or the episode before that where you had mentioned the I'm, I'm trying to remember the it's not necessarily the plight but the issue of runaway teenagers in Japan and it reminded me of Tokyo Godfathers and I feel as though that this movie is going to follow fall underneath that same vein as Tokyo Godfathers maybe take it a little bit more uh, of a somber approach. But Jay, did you know about this movie up until uh, this bit of news? Or did you know of any of uh, the cast or the production companies like David Production? Yeah, so yeah, it's David Productions. Damn, I wish you didn't say that because I wanted to brag about how I follow David Production just because we're probably not going to get another season of Fire Force and how much I love their sound design or how much they pay attention to that in their production cycle. But yeah, so given that the story has a premise of, well, you can tell us the premise, but I definitely see the parallels to the epidemic. It's actually an epidemic of runaway teenagers or that kind of disconnection with the Japanese household of overbearing parents. There's a giant wave of understood domestic violence in Japan, given it's a highly patriarchal system and a lot of kids are under the pressure to live up to unjust expectations from their parents. So with the premise of this and with David Productions animating it and how the setup is basically around a community of uh, lost people or people that are vibing for a connection that is definitely going to tug on the heartstrings. And I think it's scheduled for this summer, right? Hold on, give me a minute. I had the synopsis up instead. It's slated. Okay, hold on. That's the light novel uh, serialization. It's supposed to be hitting theaters this August on the 22nd. 27th okay so the fall yeah so i'm very much looking forward to it for the reasons of just david production rarely ever misses and especially given that they don't have much slated for this year this is probably going to be a lot of their selling point for like being relevant in 2021 so just to give you and the listeners just a recap on the synopsis for the story the movie follows essentially three uh, women a 17 year old a more middle-aged woman and an elderly woman essentially they are at a train station one day there was an earthquake and a tsunami that had happened they essentially live with each other and start to make a commune amongst themselves, you find out that the 17-year-old had lost her parents in the earthquake and the tsunami, and you mentioned the domestic violence. The older middle one was essentially running away from her husband who had physically abused her. There's not much said about the older woman, but I'm sure that she has 
a bit of a backstory as well. So it does seem to be a story, as you said, where essentially it's these three people who are yearning to have a proper emotional tie to human beings that love them for who they are, essentially. So I'm very interested to see what kind of feels that this movie is going to try to give me. And as I said, it seems like this was based off of a light series novel that was made in May 2014 to July 2015. So it's interesting how you had mentioned that this is essentially a series that follows an epidemic or a pandemic. So it's just interesting to see how something from 2014 is resonates with us right now in 2021 i think it's also more of a thing of we are in the 10-year anniversary of the uh, i don't want to mispronounce it but the the tohoku earthquake that hit japan back in 2011 so we had the japan sinks 2020 last year and then this is coming up in 2021 so i think studios are vibing with that cultural sense of remembrance of what happened, how many lives were lost, and that it was one of the worst earthquakes in modern Japanese history. Yeah, recent history. So I think that's where these are stemming from. I don't think it's more of a, uh, you know, COVID-related vibing with the world as it is. I think it's a more of a historic remembrance of what happened 10 years ago. So that, as well as this one, and I would not be surprised if they continue that trend next year as well. No, no, that that makes sense. So I guess like from that line of reasoning, do you think in 10 years we'll get uh, some sort of anime on somebody being forced to live at home sort of as a uh, parody or spoof of the pandemic that we're going through now? I'm pretty sure there was an anime last season that did that. And I can't (laughs) remember what the title was because it was so in poor taste. Well, to be (laughs) fair, that it would have been in production before COVID happened, but still to still released it missed in the midst of what was going on. It kind of felt in poor taste, so I kind of blinked it out of my memory, but I should revisit it. Uh, it was probably in the same category of Other Side Picnic, which I kind of wrote off last season. Oh, uh, okay. That's fair enough. So on to my last bit of news that I have here. The official website for the television adaptation of Saizu Harata's and Miyako Kishiwa's Diate 5 Bio de Battle, Battle in 5 Seconds After Meeting, manga revealed that its main staff, cast, theme songs, artists, and key visuals have been teasered in a promo video. So, Jay, do you know anything about this franchise at all? Uh, Battle in 5 Seconds After Meeting. Just that it's... Okay, not to say generic, but to say that... It has been, you know, again, the battle royale genre has been around in anime for a very long time. It's one of those few genres that is something unique to Japanese culture and from like the very classic movie Battle Royale. But this seems to be in the same vein of Darwin's Game, which came out twenty spring 2020. But it is a setup of genius gets put into a 
supernatural sci-fi situation with other people they have to battle to survive and their superpowers. So uh, I'm sure you could tell us like more specifically what that, uh, how I just generalized <laughs> it, just like put it out there blankly, but it has one of those weird protagonists is like, oh, I'm a uh, Kundere logic, uh, like Yagami type, and I'm going to make use of the people around me and figure out what's really going on behind the scenes. So it has all the trappings of something that will probably last a couple seasons and what's going to attract a lot of attention for, you know, just placating to the lowest common denominator. I am not speaking very highly of this manga, even though <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's just the case of this fits so well into the battle royale genre that I'm not surprised that it wasn't done sooner. True. I feel as though the reason why this came up to my mind, because this felt like there was another battle royale genre, or there was another battle royale franchise. I don't know if it was this one in particular, but I think like there was another anime like this where it was a whole bunch of kids. They were essentially locked in this room and they would have to fight and do puzzle games so that they can leave a little bit like saw where you know they just wake up and they're in chains and things like that but in that franchise that i'm referring to i don't think there was any superpowers at all so the fact that they're talking about superpowers in this one it makes me think that it's different i would say basically you were spot on essentially in the summary the only thing that's different uh, I, I, but it's it's uh, so small of a point that it's moot that this kid, the main character that we're following, everybody else is afraid and is deathly scared of the games and the logic puzzles that they have to go through to uh, get out. But the main character finds it challenging and exciting. So it, I guess we see his purpose or his drive, that being different, coming from a place of enjoyment and fear would give some sort of a difference through the typical say for instance in high school of the dead right where we follow the main characters and it's a life or death situation typical life or death scenarios right where it's like i need to you know get out of here and you know everybody's worried right it would definitely give a different spin on there if you have somebody who is essentially a doomsday prepper is like, yes, my time has come. I can do what I have trained set out to do a little bit like the gun fanatic that's there. But even though he leans that way, it, he's still in the camp of, you know, life versus death type thing. So it seems like with this kid, you know, wanting to continue to go through the challenges, it may give a different vibe, but because of how generic that it does sound, it may just, follow into the generic battle royale thing but i would still like to watch it just to see if they do the logic puzzles fun like how jojo does logic puzzles fun in its fights so that's why i brought it up and because it seems to be a gruesome anime i figured that it would be a good segue into the anime of today's topic which is just as gruesome. All right, swagway, swagway, swag, swagway. Swagway. No, swag just looking way. at your looking at your backwards cap, Sam. But it is Dead Man Wonderland <laughs> is our Dead Man Wonderland ten year review, and this was my pick from basically the reason of this was one of the 
premiering animes with the revival of Toonami back in 2012. And I did not know that it actually premiered the year before. So I wanted to see if maybe that changed my perspective of it or if like my excitement with the revival of Toonami kind of unfairly weighted in my love for the series because I did remember very um, vividly remember loving the series. And I don't know if that holds up, but <laughs> let's talk about that right now. So it. yeah, Dead Man Wonderland, it premiered back in April 17, 2011 for a 12-episode run and based off its Japanese manga of the same name, written by Jin Seikataoka. And I went to highlight this mangaka because it's also the mangaka of uh, Eureka 7. And I was yes. so surprised to see that fact because after I finished the series back in 2012, or yeah, 2012 with Toonami. By, by series, do you mean the anime or the manga? Yeah, I'm getting to that. Is that when I okay, finished the when I finished the anime with the 12 episodes, like it ran like 12 weeks, 12 episodes. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need more of this. I need more gore for the first time in my life. I need more <laughs> gore and I want to figure out what's going on in this world because I did end up rewatching all 12 episodes of this because I was very stuck between giving the three episode test and actually seeing if it held up given that this was one of the series that we've talked about recently that I've actually seen before. So I wanted to see if the 12 episode held up. And the reason that I'm so invested with this series is because after I finished the 12 episodes back 10 years ago, I went to finish the manga and she went on a hiatus for two years. So <laughs> it was one of the few series that I've caught up to its like hiatus status and then waited for the, the status, the, the hiatus to be yes. over. Yeah. And very much I was in that blue ball sense of waiting because I was so engaged with the story from the anime to get me into the manga and read it and actually be invested inside of a very gory, very supernatural story, which is not my brand really. So her writing is so okay i can talk about her writing in a little bit but yes. to talk about the anime because i'll get off on the manga versus talking about the anime so it's animated by studio man globe and mm -hmm. we know them from the world god only knows the one property they probably are best known for is shimmer shampoo which i did mention earlier this episode but yeah shimmer shampoo oh, that hurts me so much because I, I, I was looking into the history of, um, you know, why we only got as much as the anime as we did, and that that hurts. It, it, it's good, but but it hurts a little bit that they did Samurai Shampoo. Right. Yeah. But Man Globe barely does anime, so they have like um, Combat Butler is like the other series they're known for. But like they if also did Gangster. Oh, well, Gangster, but it's like, they're not known for that, I guess, technically. True. Like, Gangster's kind yeah. of, it, Gangster's kind of supported it's on its own. It's yeah, 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 Gangster's supported on its own merits, but yeah. And yeah, you can like easily scroll through all their uh, filmography for Man Globe. But this is a 17 plus rated series in the sci-fi horror. And the story centers on a, again, another high school student. <laughs> convicted of the mass murder of his entire class and sentenced 
to a prison known or a prison amusement park known as Dead Man Wonderland. And is it available on Funimation? I believe it's available on Funimation. It is. It's available on Funimation. I, I would say I would say the OVA though, because they had one OVA that came out. I don't think I have to look and see if that was available on Funimation too. Or if you can get that on Amazon. Yeah, the OVA covers a side character of Crow, which you don't get introduced until episode four. He appears in episode three, but mm. he doesn't get introduced. Like, he's in shadow in Not episode for real, three. For real. But yeah. for real, for real, in episode four. But yeah, that's the OVA is about his backstory and everything that led up to his own imprisonment in Dead Man Wonderland. Let's just call it DW, even though DW, DW from Arthur's World. <laughs> Yeah, author, author, yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, and so that's the premise of the series, but it doesn't tell you about uh, Ganta as the main character. He has a female companion named Shiro. She's a albino, I guess, because she has white hair, very pale yeah. skin, but red eyes, and she has a very iconic skin-tight body suit, as well as um, mittens on her hands. <laughs> It's it's weird because there it's a mix between mittens and old school boxing gloves like back in the industrial England days, right? Where like they look like they're like actual pieces of leather. Right, because originally that that kind of padding was developed for insane asylums where uh inmates would gnaw at their hands to keep them from hurting themselves. So that's kind of what it reminds me of because there are sort of like belts tying down her mittens around her wrists. But yeah, so like those are the two main characters. There's a pretty uh, significant sub um, side cast, side cast, side characters in the first three episodes. And again, that's what I'm trying to focus on without going into too many spoilers. But want to talk about first, how do you feel about the series, Sam? Like, you, did you do the three episode test, or did you go farther? So, with I, w- I was like you, and I watched DW when it first came out, and I loved it. I, I actually liked the idea of going back and rewatching it a little bit, like what, what you said, essentially trying to see if nostalgia holds up as much as the quality of the work. I did the three-episode test, and I watched the OVA, mainly because I never saw it before. I And from... I, I, would, I would say that the three-episode test, it was pretty good. I, I remember watching it. Uh, I was just thinking to myself, you know, I, I was just thinking to myself, uh, like the privacy about this kid being framed for the massacre of his classmates right i would say like that's what the first episode really did too was it really humanized and it made his classmates real like his bonds with his classmates were real much like a lot of the other animes that we've mentioned before it seemed like this franchise or the series if it were any of those other characters it would have kept going because they as i said like it felt like thought was put behind those characters it wasn't so so it wasn't ex um I'm, I'm trying to think of the word it wasn't essentially like character a written as this long uh year uh friend where it's like oh we've only been friends for nine years and this is our first year of high school let's go and do the thing and then blood is splattered no it's like you 
really get to see them sit and ruminate in their friendship. You know, there is good, uh, witty banter back and forth between them. And they're talking about events that they live through. It's like, hey, do you have that homework from so-and-so class? And they have inside jokes. You know, it's an actual relationship. So you really do feel something when uh, Ganta uh, wakes up and realizes that most of his classmates are dismembered. So I really do appreciate that. Uh, one thing watching was, uh, just, just to go back to my original point, was I was I had forgotten how they framed him to begin with. And I'm just thinking, it's like, this is crazy. It's like, why would they frame him? I mean, yeah, everybody else was massacred, but the thing is, like, he was the only one that essentially left unscathed, right? That's super sus, but that's not merit enough for them to essentially imprison him. And then I remember about the tape that was made, and then that's the big subplot, or I don't know if that is a big, I don't know if that's considered a subplot or part of the main plot, but like him trying to find out you know who essentially wants him to be in dw and one thing that i also do like too was the parents reaction to ganta because it just again makes it feel more real and more realistic because even though he was the only one that was unscathed essentially popular opinion would be i don't know what the hell this kid did but since he's the only one that's alive we have to pin him and make him the scapegoat for all of our emotions so it sort of made sense that way i really did like that and i also like the music too i'm trying to think of when uh, the scenes that you may know because like there is this theme that really keeps coming up it's like uh with this uh piano accompanied by a set of strings when things start to get emotional like i that impacted me so much that much like the growing weeb that i was i went and downloaded it and i have it on my ipod in my anime section so yeah that's uh that's that's all i really have to say were there any other points that you wanted to mention along the lines of what you were just saying is that the music is probably the standout of the series and to say like if you just talk about the character or the setup or the animation and like the music is kind of like those the fourth category that i kind of Mm-hmm. rank a good anime for and the music in this is so oddly balanced for everything outside of it so if you look at the opening the op is a banger <laughs> and yes. it's so odd that you know a, that hasn't really stuck in my mind because it's a very muddled way of introducing characters like ops do a lot of things and this one is kind of just the music by itself is what stands out because it's a dead man wonder band. Yeah. And it's a American Japanese band, rock band Whoa. from back in the day. Back in that's the day. why the music or not, not the music, but like, that's why the English sounded so clean. Exactly. Yeah. So like they do a lot of music in this vein, but they're like post grunge. They have like this, weird linking park god hand vibe that i very much vibe with but it's very much a music serves the op and not the other way around so and but then everything else with character moments there's a lot of somber piano tones that plays out consistently everyone kind of gets their own musical cues like shiro kind of when she gets introduced she stands very much opposed to how ganta's music is composed because shiro is very much the heart and soul of the first three episodes like she gets introduced in the first 
episode and Ganta is such a drab main character. He's not milk toast because like you said, we have that connection with what he's going through. He's a kid that basically just got bathed in the blood of his classmates. And then literally the Japanese government threw the heaviest threw under the bus. Yeah. yeah. They threw the heaviest school bus at him. <laughs> and even with a doctored video of him saying like the most vile things about, you know, people he cared about or. Dude, you know, they did deep fake before deep fake was deep fake was a thing. It was so crazy. Yeah, and if we were in a Phoenix Wright court of law, that would not hold up in court. But apparently it does. And he got sent to uh, Dead Man Wonderland, which is an amusement park. And even that by itself is really a engaging way of putting a teen in danger. <laughs> you know how I love my children in danger stories. Yes. But the idea that he's wearing a collar that is constantly pumping his bloodstream full of blood not full of blood but poison poison yes <laughs> no, no no I, I was just gonna uh jump off of like you said it was an amusement park right and even with right before the bloodbath happens ganta was talking with his friends about going to dw for a school field trip and you know even they like they were having a real conversation about it they're like oh why do we have to go there like can't we go outside of the town you know things like that and, you know, they even – some of them even had mixed feelings about it, right? And we're there in DW, and there is this essentially obstacle course race, which is wipeout, but you die by falling off, right? You literally – they literally wipe you out, smear you out, and halfway through the competition, it has Ganta, like, looking at the kids who – were able to go on a field trip to go and experience it on the other side. So it's just very interesting seeing those images juxtaposed against themselves. And you get a sense of what the mangaka is trying to say on how, I, I, I don't know if it's how Japanese society views its prisoners, but I, I guess like a sense of like how society can uh, view prisoners, especially if prisons do go into the private sector route. And there's been several documentaries on how bad uh, private uh, entities going into the prison system, how that has negatively affected the U.S. and specific populations. So I can only imagine what that's like in other countries. And it's interesting getting a foreigner's perspective on that in their own uh, society that way. Shying away from that comparison of, you know, real world documentaries and actually depicting like horrible conditions and like in the, some of the worst maintained prisons around the world, some of the largest, some of the crowded ones. There's even like a fascination with how Hollywood presents the idea of this idea, even in the movie Death Race with Jason Statham, where a Jason Statham was a famous race car driver. And then he got his, his wife got murdered and then the police blamed it on him so he could become a racer in the prison. So it's literally like the same premise just taken from like the Western extremist idea of, yeah, a badass car guy needs to seek revenge and find who set him up, essentially. And that's even the whole, what you're saying, that juxtaposition between why did this happen on the day that his classroom was going to go to DW. So 
if we look at the three episode tests, I would say that this strongly passes. That's why yes. we don't do, that's why this segment is not called three episode tests. It's called resurrect or reburied for this exact reason, because those two things aren't equivalent. A series that has a strong opening cannot have a strong finish or a middle. So just to say that the premise hooks you in that Ganta is a tragic character. He's a whiny kid, of course, but what else is he supposed to be? He's the Shinji. He's the he's the Shinji from Evangelion. He's thrown exactly. Into... However, I I do like 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 you said, like he starts out as Shinji, but with Shiro and his interactions with Shiro, she causes him to grow. Like he like you said, like he he's Shinji and he has the right to mope. He's a kid that's being thrown into a prison with adults. Who knows like all all the stuff that he's going to have to uh, get involved with? But it should but instead of shying away and dying in the dark because of his interactions with Shiro, he's essentially picking himself up and being more active about his own path and destiny. Uh, because we see in episode three where the warden, who I think is the sole uh, influence for uh, prison high school, by the way, <laughs> but how essentially the warden is telling Gonta to meet her at this location, but then when he has a lead on somebody or uh, the entity that had framed him, he decides to go after his lead instead of following the rules. So he is becoming more act. But, but I, I do agree with your Shinji comparison at first, but he's different in the sense that he he has room for growth. Right. So I would say that parallel is more akin to future diary because that's the same way of Yuki, the main male lead in that show, responded to uh, Yuna. Yuna. Yeah, kind of responds in that kind of same dynamic. But Shiro is the light side where, you know, in that series was the dark side and just pushing him more towards the darkness so that oh wait who's now i'm losing track of his name but ganta ganta basically goes after the red man that's his name and in episode three you learn that the red man is actually a prisoner inside of dw and his name is his code name is the wretched egg so in the three episodes it's just building on this like suspense like why did the red man target it Ganta, why did he give Ganta essentially the ability to control blood? We didn't even talk about what Ganta's superpower is. And yes. it's such a badass superpower to have the idea of blood bending, essentially. And even when we get introduced to the Red Man, he has that same ability that there are going to be multiple blood users past this three episodes. Even with mm -hmm. the ending of the third episode, we see that there's another bloodbender, essentially. They're not called bloodbender. They're called literally dead men, but we don't know that yet. But just to, <laughs> just again to stay focused with the three episodes. But exactly. I very much liked how they handle the gore aspect of it. So, like you said, like episode two, there's a dog race essentially. So all prisoners basically have to vie for their ability to keep living. That they're being pumped with poison on a hourly basis, and they have to basically fight for candies, which has the antidote in them. And that when Ganta's racing, he gets cut in the back. He he's like next to people that gets their bodies like cut in half. There's like guards on like people get liquefied too, man. It's it's intense. And then they even go to the audience to show that oh yeah, this is a entertainment. This is a place 
of fun. It's an amusement park. And Gant is now the center attraction where he would have been, like you said, on the other side of the fence if things hadn't turned out as poorly as they did. With Ganta going against or going for the Red Man, it feels like he's drowning, but he's like on his tippy toes. So you feel so much concern that he's going to throw his life away. And I just find that very endearing for such a milquetoast, whiny baby character. <laughs> Uh, even with the comparison, maybe with Tokyo Ghoul, I guess, in looking for like recent examples of yeah. this, like that MC is the same thing, whiny baby thrown into a predatorial situation with ghouls hunting him down and getting a supernatural power. Same thing with Ganta here. So like everything hits on the three episode basis, but I don't want to talk too much about it, how it fares with the other episodes, but how do you feel, Sam? Like, what did you leave, like, the whole Dead Man Wonderland experience with? The whole Dead Man Wonderland? It made me mad that there wasn't a season two. It was, it was, it was an anger that I had when I first finished it, and I'm watching it now. I'm like, damn, now I'm mad again that there's not a season two. And you finished reading the manga, so is the ending satisfying or is the manga finished at all? Does she ever get off of hiatus? Yes. So the manga right now ended in, <laughs> ended in uh, 2013 with 13 volumes. So it did. So the anime only covers the first five volumes essentially. So okay. it's a pretty short read, so you can knock it out essentially, but she went on hiatus for two years. So right as the anime finished that she went on hiatus. So that's, Probably the main factor that motivated another studio picking up Man Globe, you know, does do follow-up seasons because the world only God knows, God only knows, has multiple seasons. So it would have probably had a follow-up season if she didn't go on break, but she had a healthy baby boy. So it's good. Okay, because I was following updates of her story like but to say that dead man wonderland is probably one of my top five favorite mangas is that the story wraps up in such a beautiful gut-wrenching way that if i ever get a chance to own the omnibus of it i'm going to buy it because i've only done that with code Geass. but the weight okay. was so much needed for that payoff yeah the weight was the weight was definitely worth it but how she writes, very much like how Eureka 7, I very much prefer the world. It's the world of Dead in Wonderland, not really Ganta as a character that I enjoy much. How she works in a very interesting power system. Even the name of that power system called Branch of Sin is yes. so engaging to think of. Sin is, you know, from Adam and Eve's perspective, that sin is where the serpent came down from to tempt eve and that's kind of where that idea is see i could really go into the manga but <laughs> again to focus okay. on the 12 episodes the three episodes that the animation is so well done it's so clean it's very much stands apart from anything else man globe does the music is on point the characters are all right. Again, like I said, uh, Ganta is just a whiny baby. Yeah, but he's sympathetic. He's sympathetic in the way that how a kid would react to despair. And Shiro is just the darkness, or she's not the darkness. She's the light in the darkness. And mm -hmm. her, I watched, I, or I watched it in the English dub. 
and her voice performance is so engaging. I thought she would have been an annoying for how bubbly she is, how yeah. she stands so averse to the whole situation because she's kind of a prisoner. She doesn't have a collar on. So even with Shiro's existence in the plot, she's a mystery building upon itself. So I very much enjoyed that. The supporting cast, the warden, has a very good opening warden speech of when the prisoner says, oh, what cup size are you? And she gives her actual cup size and yeah. very small interactions like, oh, I like you, warden. That plus the violence, which reminds me of Elfin Lead, as well as, as well as Tokyo Ghoul, Future Diary. So everything just pops off. And I'm glad that Toonami brought this to my attention. So I'm, but to say all of that, I'm going yeah. to say that this is definitely a reburied for me. Ooh. And for the reason of read the manga. <laughs> and I'm not really I'm not we don't really have a special category for that, but for how the story wraps up, it's really not worth the attention that you get for 12 episodes. It's a good ride, it's fun, it's placates you to go read the manga, but to say that it needs to be resurrected or uh, revisited, it needs a second season. It actually just needs a, another adaptation done of it. Like but, a reboot or something. Like yeah, that. something, but that's not a category. So I think it falls more for the reburied for me, Sam, even though of everything I just said about it. But how do you feel about it? Uh, now I'm conflicted because I was thinking about doing a resurrection too, but with all those points, because it's really good. Like you said, stands off well enough and it sort of leaves you blue balls, even though it gives you an OVA, it doesn't really satisfy you with anything else. If the manga is a self-contained story, I mean, if, if the manga is the story as a whole and gives you the complete picture, then that would probably be the best one. But I don't know if I want to give that up, or give up the experience of having Dead Men Waterland. Just, you know, like sayings like, oh, you don't need to experience the anime, just read the manga. When the anime, like you said, like we were able to give it so many accolades, like it uh, put Monglobe on the map because of what it did, how it portrayed the characters, the voice acting. I would have to say, because I, I watched it in the... Japanese at first, and then I rewatched it in the dub. And I would say everything was good except for that woodpecker song that Shiro sings. That was the only thing that didn't translate well, but everything else was still on point. So it doesn't matter which version that you see, you'll still get essentially the same thing. I really do like it. And I'm trying to think of another anime that's out there now. You mentioned Tokyo Ghoul, but I feel as though that Deadman Wonderland still, I'm sorry, Deadman Wonderland DW, that it still does a better job than Tokyo Ghoul does. Mainly because of the mess of Tokyo Ghoul that happens because they play with the story a little bit they have season one and then season two is technically supposed to be season three but it like i said it plays around with the time a little bit so like that messed with me like that, that that's the only thing that i'm that i'm that i'm struggling with right now because like i said deadman winterland does good and it's 12 even though it's incomplete and comparing it to the modern day dead man quote unquote which is the Tokyo Ghoul. Tokyo Ghoul is sort of a mishmash of what it's supposed to be. And I have heard that uh, with Tokyo Ghoul, the anime, it hasn't been doing the manga justice. But with what you've read, do you think that 
the 12 episodes does the parts it carry justice or it seems like you can just get rid of the anime as a whole correct yes so it's not a situation of throwing the baby out with the bathwater because there are a competent studios that i feel that could do a better job animating this so even though Manglobe does do a good job with their like fight choreography like look at shimmerai shampoo and even the character design for dw is so eye-catching that i haven't really seen anything like that before even with like a wreck of seven it's a little bit different even though it's from the same mangaka so to put it in terms of what's really good about the series is just it's above board enough that you want to resurrect it but it just is a situation of a lot is left out from yeah the manga so like characters are left out characters motivations a lot of aspects to ganta's arc is left out because he very much finishes somewhat in the same place with the same mentality of the situation that he's in of that still whining kid not in the same mm-hmm. way that um the yuki from future diary finishes like he finishes as a villain but everything that can be redone wholesale from dead man wonderland just makes me say keep it dead because a studio might rediscover it through the course of a reboot like maybe shaman king in the same vein of <clears throat> finishing the story because it was hiatus and it made its season one stop essentially. So okay. how do you feel now? No, no, I, I feel, I feel a little bit better about making it a rebury because I'm comparing it now to soul eater because essentially soul eater w- w- had a same problem where it went up to a point, then it sort of went on hiatus and it had to make its own ending to end the series. But the thing is with Soul Eater, it gave us enough content to have a fuller picture of the story, even though the anime ending was trash and it makes you want to go back and uh, watch, uh, read the manga. So even though, like you said, even though the anime does a lot of good things, I would, I would, I would probably keep it uh, uh, reburied. If you, you say that the manga is as good as it is, that the payoff is good, then it probably is worth it in the end to keep it reburied. That way somebody else can look at it and do a reboot in the future. All right. Excellent. So I think we're agreed upon again. And also to mention, Sam, that I don't know what it is about anime is just opening up with gore scenes. So, you know, I'm still squeamish, but this is like the third anime I've watched with <laughs> terrible, terrible first episodes we talked about uh, blue exorcists had to subject my eyes to the ending of invincible as well as the ending of invincible which we should probably talk about given that it's a wonderful animated series but for dead man wonderland we give it our 10-year review of double reburied so it's deep in the ground six feet under well six feet plus six feet 12 feet in total buried down in the ground to be hopefully revive one day by another studio with a more complete story, given that the manga went on hiatus. So Sam, to finish up the episode, do you have anything to say for us? When the school bell rang, I was Godzilla taking over everything in the scene, eating wonton with a shotgun, spraying blood over everything. Shout out to Redman. Redman.